If you would take your Bible, we'll turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we will be, Lord willing, completing, finishing chapter 5 tonight of the Sermon on the Mount. And you have a handout there, and there's just some questions that we put on the list and some scripture passages that um, we'll we'll be looking at here in just a few minutes. I'm going to read the passages beginning in verse 43 and then read through the end of 48. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Some of you perhaps heard of C.S. Lewis. You've either known of C.S. Lewis or you've heard people quote C.S. Lewis. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis had, a, had a, an adversary, someone who, who had written something about him publicly saying that Lewis had spoken disparagingly about the Sermon on the Mount. And so Lewis responded back with these words. As to, quote, caring for, close quote, the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying... I suppose no one, quote, cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. He's speaking of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Lewis is is saying, Lewis had, had, had said earlier something about not caring for the Sermon on the Mount, and He was explaining what he meant was, look, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, it's like a sledgehammer. It just hits me in the face and knocks me flat. And as I read that, I thought, you know, I think think he's on to something here because when we read the Sermon on the Mount, if we read it with any thoughtfulness at all, it can feel like a sledgehammer, spiritually speaking. I mean, think about it. We started at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All these things were so countercultural. Blessed are those who uh, are persecuted for my name's sake and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, that just doesn't, that's not stuff we just say, yeah, 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 give me more, give me more. Uh, Countercultural. So that was the first, that's the first hit of the sledgehammer. Then we were told that we're salt and light in the world. And then we were told in verse 20, if you'll remember in verse 20, said Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Boom. You know, there's the sledgehammer again. We've got to have we've got to have righteousness that exceeds that of some of the most outwardly religious people that we could possibly think of. And then we 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 run across all these demanding examples one of which we are looking at tonight. Perhaps, maybe, maybe the most difficult, to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully abuse you. 
to, to, to read this and, and to take this seriously and say, okay, this is what the Lord is, is saying, this is what I'm calling you to, is painful for any serious believer. And so I ask you this, could this be a good thing? In other words, is it a good thing that this is painful in some way? Is it a good thing that we don't read this and just go, ah, yeah, okay. Isn't it a good thing that it's a bit painful and we, we feel like we've been hit by a sledgehammer? I'll give you this example. Alexander White was a, was a, a minister who ministered in Scotland years ago, back before there were EMS and cell phones and all the things we have today. He was in a serious accident when he was just a boy, an accident that actually would have cost him his arm had it not been for a neighbor lady. In other words, they didn't have EMS, they didn't have an ambulance, they couldn't throw him in the car and say, let's rush him to the hospital. Uh, He would have lost his arm had it not been for a neighbor lady who said uh, that she would nurse him back to help. Let him stay with me. And that he did. And he went through intense pain. He, He would complain about it quite often, of his arm just so painful. And the woman would say to him, I like the pain. I like the pain. And at first you read that and you think, that sounds sadistic. It sounds like, you know, that she's happy that he's painful. But here's what she meant. She said, I like the pain because the pain meant that he had feeling in his arm and it was healing. Could it be that the pain that we feel reading the Sermon on the Mount is a good thing? A good thing. That, 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 we, feel, that we feel something at least. We don't, we, we don't read it and just go, oh, well, on, on to chapter 9. <laughs> you know, isn't it a good thing? And, and, and if, if it is a good thing, in what way is it a good thing? And I think, at least as I think about this, it means that with, with our Lord's help, we can progressively grow in our faith. We can actually make headway in our faith. We can actually make headway in our sanctification because of the pain of this, because it, 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 it garners a response from us. It, we don't read it and go to sleep, you know. Or it jolts us, you see. And that's what we're getting tonight in these passages because in the passages we just read, probably in your Bible, the heading of it says, Love Your Enemies. And right there, that's enough. That's enough to just cause you to skip on to chapter 6. But Jesus is giving, he's actually giving instruction to his followers for building an expansive love into our lives. I use the word expansive love into our lives. Because as we're going to see, he gives some examples here of, you know, okay, you, you love this person and you can love this person. and you, 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 You've got a certain capacity for love. But Jesus said, I'm calling my followers to an expansive love, a love that goes beyond the normal borders and boundaries, an expansive kind of love. Because that's what we're going to see tonight. Jesus is going to teach us how to build an expansive love into our lives. But before we do that, there are those, I've mentioned to you before, I, I, listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts of people who, uh, who used to be in the, in the Christian faith. They grew up in the church and they, they have now deconverted, and uh, thousands of them. And so often they will say this. They will say things like, look, doesn't it just come down to this? 
All we need to do, we need to cut through all the Bible and all, what the, all these other things the Bible says. Don't we just need to cut down to what Jesus said? All we need is to love God and love our neighbor. And that's, that's it. That's enough. And the people on the podcast, they'll say, that's right. That's, that's right. That makes so much sense. Yeah, if we, just, if we just, just love God with all of our heart and love our neighbors or something. And, and that's it. And, and as, I, as I listen to that, I can see why that's attractive to some people. I can see why people go, yeah. Now, why do we need to you know, worry about what the Bible has to say about God's design for sexuality and, and, and all these other particular things? Why do we need to worry with that? Why don't just get down to the nitty-gritty and just love God and love our neighbor? On the surface, that sounds good. It, it's, but but, but you've got to understand, it's a reductionist view that says the rest of the Bible is not necessary. In other words, you've got, you got these 66 books of the Bible that God breathed, God gave to us, but all of a sudden, God is saying, eh, don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> just love me and love your neighbor. While that's true, love God and love your neighbor, just beware. While it is true that we must love God and love our neighbor, we have to be instructed how to do it. See, it is not enough to just say, all I need just I got my own thing going. I'm going to love God, love my neighbor. I don't need the Bible. Don't need, I don't need that. Don't need church. Then what you're basically saying is you're the one that's deciding how you're going to do it. And I'll assure you that what we'll do is just what Jesus is pointing out here. We will set up our boundaries. I'll love this person, but I'm not going to love that person. I'll love this person. And Jesus is calling us to the exact opposite, to an expansive love. So let's hear Jesus' instructions, and we begin in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now I want you to take, hold your place, and I want you to turn over to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, because this is where we, we, we hear a portion of this, okay? And I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Jesus is referring here to this particular quote. In verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, just a quick survey. If you have your Bible open, does it say anywhere in that passage, hate your enemy? It's suspiciously absent, isn't it? But Jesus says in Matthew Chapter 5 there, you, you've heard it said. Again, you've heard it said. Not you've heard it, not, not you've read it, not it was written, but you've heard it said. Somewhere along the way, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy was added. Not in the Bible, but those who, those who expounded upon these verses. And you have to ask, why the addition? Why would anybody... Why would anybody say, well, you, you, love, you love your enemies or, or you love your neighbor, but you hate your enemies? Why would anybody add that? And it appears that, that what happened was this. They were convinced that the context of the passage in Leviticus chapter 19 that we just read, they were convinced that the context of the passage strictly confined the definition of neighbor to a fellow Israelite. In other words, the deduction was this, all right, love my neighbor. My neighbor is my fellow Israelites, these people. But these other people, that doesn't include them. And so I, conversely, should hate them. 
I love, I love these people. So if I'm to love these people and these people only, apparently I'm to hate everybody else, you see. And it, it, you, know, you may say, oh, surely, surely they think that way. Just think about it. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. What, what, what did the young man ask? You know, who is my neighbor? Could you, could you clear that up for me? You know, who's my neighbor? And, and, and then Jesus went on to give the parable of, okay, there was, you know, a, a, a Samaritan, a Jew gets wounded on the road and a Samaritan, you know, finally comes along, takes care of him to what would seem to be, from a human perspective, enemies. But the Samaritan, what did he do? He was neighborly. He was neighborly. See, And so, so yes, the, the, the question is, how, could people think that way? Could people... You know, re- reduce this down to where, okay, I love this people, but, but th- therefore I'm supposed to hate these people. And that, that, is, that is actually what happened. And so Jesus clears up in the sermon on, or, or in the uh, parable of the um, Good Samaritan, a neighbor is anyone, anyone he is in a position to help, okay? Now, who, who is my neighbor? Anyone that you're in a position to help. That's really how Jesus defines it. And it's, it's interesting that even though Leviticus 19 and 18, you know, love your neighbor, and then they would add, but hate your enemy, they had ignored Exodus 23, verses 4 through 5. So let's, let's read them. Exodus 23, 4 through 5. Now listen, listen to this. This is, this is so clear, but apparently, apparently they missed these verses. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. You'd expect it to read, you shall barbecue it, you know. Uh, But it's your enemy. It's your enemy's barbecue that thing, you know. But no, you shall bring it back to him. Verse, Verse 5. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it and you shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 6 doesn't have anything to do with it. But verses 4 and 5, you see. That, those verses alone certainly indicate that, that, there's, there's, that there's not room for this, this, this idea of hating your neighbor. Um, so what do we have so far? We have, what do we have so far? First... Jesus is clearing up here in verse 43 uh, a gross interpretation. We're, 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 to, we're to love not only our neighbor, but love our enemies. Okay? It's, not a, it's not a restricted love for Jesus' followers. It's an expansive love. But stop here for a moment and, and let's try to narrow this down a little bit. What particular enemies might Jesus be speaking of? Could there be particular enemies that Jesus is speaking of? And I think we'd have to say yes. So, so what, I, what, I want, what, I want, what I want us to think about and see right now is it appears that, again, context means everything. And so, because you might be sitting there going, you're, you're all over the map going, enemies. I can think of all kinds of enemies. I can think of other. But is Jesus, is Jesus at least speaking about some particular enemies? I think so. Same chapter, Matthew 5. Just go back to verses 10 and 12 again. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that say to us? There will be people, we we went over this a few weeks back, there will be people in the world who will persecute believers. They will behave in an enemy-like way towards you, right? In verse 11, blessed are, are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because because of your alignment with Christ, because of your devotion to Christ, these things begin to fall upon us. And so therefore, these people are behaving in an enemy-like way to us. And it would seem, it would seem that the context would point right back to this when he says, love your enemies. And you go, like, what particular kind of enemies are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about the ones who persecute you. I'm talking about those who insult you and revile you because of your stand, your alignment and devotion to Christ. See, in the kingdom of this world, we are encouraged at best. Now, again, when I say kingdom of the world, make a distinction between the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world encourages us at best to ignore our enemies and at worst to retaliate against them. That's what the world would tell us. Just ignore that person. Just, just, just behave toward them as if they don't even exist. They, they don't even, they don't even you know, as far as you're concerned, they're dead. Or, at worst, retaliate against them. Get them. Get them back. Pay them back. And as we looked at the last you know, two weeks ago, you know, they, they did this. Well, I'm going to do this even more. And, and if you think about it, you see, the Jews in particular, the Jews were a people who had been oppressed for a long time. And it might seem, uh, it might have seemed natural or even patriotic for them to, to hate. <laughs> like, look, you know, we, we, we have been oppressed. Our, everybody has been against us. Everybody has been against us. And it might, it, and on the surface, it might seem, well, it's, it's, it's only natural. It's only natural that they would hate their enemies. It's only natural that, you know, it would even be patriotic for them to do it. And I say that because, I say that because we need to be concerned today, as Christians today, how we respond to our enemies. Uh, because sometimes, sometimes people can respond in a way to their enemies feeling that it's patriotic to do so. But we, we are not clothing ourselves in the American flag. We are clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so I think for us, we need to really particularly think about this because um, you know, a few articles I've read recently of, you know, of why, you know, why, uh, why is our culture so against Christians? And you know, we can, we can kind of talk about, well, it's because of this, because of this. But the biblical answer is there is a cosmic conflict going on <laughs> you know i mean there is a cosmic conflict going on and 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 and, and we're we're you know we're in the thick of that you know and we shouldn't be surprised we shouldn't be surprised that the the world is is not all gung-ho about the church and see so so i think for us we really really need to look at these verses especially in our culture in our context right now 
and, and be careful not to be swept up, swept in some of the movements that blow through the land uh, that seem to give us some justification for hating our enemies. See? Okay, now, why? Why does Jesus order us to love like this? Why does he do it? Verse 45 is the answer. Look at this. The sentence began in verse 43. You've heard that it was said. And then notice, you know, after verse 44, there's a comma, continuing sentence there. So that, okay, so that is, we're getting ready to read the answer of why Jesus is commanding us to have expansive love even our enemies. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What, what is Jesus saying here in a nutshell? If we partially love our enemies as well as our friends, or, I'm, 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 let me restate that. If, if, we, if we impartially show love to our enemies as well to our friends, we will be like our Heavenly Father. Conversely, if we just love our friends... We just love this people, but we have hatred for our enemies. Conversely, we are not being like our Heavenly Father. But Jesus is saying, you, you are being like, you are showing the characteristics of your Heavenly Father when you love your friends and you love your enemies. Because what? He shows the impartiality of His love by sending the sun and rain on both the righteous and and the unrighteous. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm thinking of a name. Uh, you could say, you could say, the Lord sends His rain upon. Say, uh, let's just use Franklin Graham. Okay, everybody knows Franklin Graham. He sends His rain on Franklin Graham and on Stephen Colbert. <laughs> Some of you know Stephen Colbert. Yeah. It, it, the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and, and so when you look at that, you think, wow, you know, that's, that's how God responds. Well, that's what he calls us to do as his children, you see. We, we, are called, we are called to demonstrate the character of our Heavenly Father. Since he, we call him Father and we are his children, we are part of his household, part of his family, we are to imitate our Father which is in heaven. Let me, let me turn over to 1 John, if you would. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, uh, just to... Um, emphasize this a, a little more. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So one reason, one reason right away we see why, why does God say, or why does, why does Christ say to his followers, look, Love your enemy. Well, it's, it's because when we do that, we are demonstrating the character of our Heavenly Father. But another reason is such love will distinguish us from the world. And you see that 
in verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? See, loving those who are our brothers and sisters is a righteousness that does not rise above that of tax collectors. Tax collectors loved their buddies and their friends and their brothers and sisters in in tax collecting. (laughs) And, And Jesus is saying, look, they're not converted. They're not part of the family of God. These are swindlers, you know? And 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 they love, they love, they love. And and if if you as followers of Christ, if you have if you have that kind of restricted love, your 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 righteousness is not even rising above that of tax collectors. If a person loves only his friends, he's he's doing no better than a swindling tax collector. And that's that's what Jesus is saying here. Followers of Christ should do more, must do more than what is common. What Jesus is describing in verses 46 and 47 is common love. It's common amongst, amongst the most wicked, the mob. <laughs> the mob, I mean, you watch the movies, I mean, they, you know, they kiss each other on the cheek, the Italian kiss on the cheek. They love each other. You know, everybody, come to the house. Let's have spaghetti, you know. They love each other, you know, but they're swindlers. They're murderers, you know. We are called. As we've been saying, we are called to a greater righteousness. Now, here's a question we should ask before we move on. And, and just, just if it's in your notes, you can think about it. Ask yourself, is there something special or unique about my love to others that is not present in the life of the unbeliever? Just think about that. Take that home with you. Is there something special and unique about my love to others that is not present in the life of of the unbeliever because what Jesus is saying is as his followers there should be if we are his followers there's some there should be something special and unique about our love for others it should be an expansive type of love now just a little just a little something that I thought maybe I wondered if you know we might be thinking this you know because I mean really this is again sledgehammer you, you hear this and you go Wait a minute, wait a minute. So I was pondering this this week. Jesus does not ask us here to love our enemies in the same way we love our loved ones. Because you, you, you might be, well, you have, as a mother, listen, as a mother, you have an instinctive love for your children. Father, you have an instinctive love for your children. Um. It's a spontaneous, uh, what, what the New Testament calls a natural affection. In other words, you, you, don't, you, have to, you don't have to be commanded, you know, like love your son, love, love that baby. You don't, you don't, it's spontaneous, see. Is, is Jesus, see, that ought to be enough right there to say, hmm, I don't, don't know that Jesus is calling us to the same kind of love. So, like, you, like, okay, love, love that enemy of yours just like you would love your baby. No, love for your baby, natural affection, spontaneous. You don't have to be commanded to do that. But notice here, we're commanded. It's not natural. It's not instinctive. It's not spontaneous. You see, Jesus is calling us here to 
what's, what most of you know is agape love. Agape love is this, deliberate, intelligent, determined love. It is, simply put, a good will toward even our enemies. Okay? Again, I think we need to make that distinction because you, you start thinking, okay, you, know, you say, Jesus, love my enemies. And, and you, mean, you mean I'm supposed to love them like I love my three-year-old or my 10-year-old or my, my, my husband, my wife? You know, it, you know, here is, is a, again, a commanded agape love that is a goodwill, determined, intelligent, deliberate good love our goodwill toward even our enemies. In fact, in verse 44, it, it, it may, may help a little bit to flesh this out, verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Now let's, talk, let's think about that for just a moment. Um, Jesus is our example here. And I, I didn't realize this this week when I was looking at this, did not know this, but that's why Bible study can be so illuminating and enjoyable. We, we all know that on, on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We, we, we wear that, right? But, but here's what I did not know. When he, when he says this, he says it in the, what's called the imperfect tense in the Greek, which means this, that he repeatedly prayed this on the cross. It wasn't just one time. It wasn't just this one utter, utterance that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No, there, there would be another statement and another statement of the same he repeatedly prayed that praying for his enemies those who were persecuting him forgive them for they know not what they do and so let me let's pause here for a moment we've got 10 minutes i want to ask you a question i want to let, give you a chance to answer this is there a benefit let me put it this way can you think of any benefits that will come with praying for your enemies and if so what what do you think they would be what benefits do you think there would be for praying for your enemies. What, what kind of benefit would there be for your enemy? What might benefit might there be for you praying for your enemy? Yeah, Michelle. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, Michelle, say, you know, it will begin to soften our heart toward our adversary, toward our enemy. Because, let's face it, they're our enemy, and they've done something to us. And we're hurt, we're wounded. And it'd be very easy to harden our heart toward that person. And so, prayer... Prayer could, you know, again, a way of softening our own heart. Anybody else? Any, any benefits that you can think of and, and, and anything about what she just said? Any, any, anything? Come on here. Come on. Come on now. You, I know there's somebody you're sitting there. Jim? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, I hate to admit this, uh, but, I mean, you know, I've got, it, I was necessarily say it's a personal enemy to me, but there's, People that, do, people that do stuff, you know, the, the people I love. Uh, I mean, I've gone in my office at home and thought, how can I get them? <laughs> how can I? How can I? I'm telling you, it, it's, it's amazing where your pastor's mind can go. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, it's especially when you hurt people you love, you know, and you feel like you feel hopeless. You feel helpless. Like, I, I can't do anything. And you, you start thinking, well, what can I do? What? And I, I hate to admit this, you know, to, to, but, but, you know, is it possible? See, I, I think this is maybe where for me, I'll just speak from my, but maybe I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not appreciating and valuing uh, what, what God can do. Because I said, there's, I'm helpless, I can't do anything. 
and, and, and I'm just not appreciating and valuing what God can do because what if, I mean, do, do you think this is possible if we, if we bring this person and, pr- and actually sincerely pray for this person? Is it possible, do you think, that God could, as, as Michelle said, obviously soften our heart, but could he also help us to maybe see this person differently than we're seeing them right now? Is that possible, do you think? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm thinking maybe, yeah, from, from me, maybe, because, because, you know, in other words, can't, do you think it's possible to keep hating that person as you sincerely pray for them over time? Probably not, really. You know, probably not. I mean, you, 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 you're really sincerely praying for that person. It's very likely that there's going to be a change in your disposition toward that person. Because I don't know that you could keep praying and praying and praying and praying for that person and, 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 and sincerely, genuinely, and still have that same intense hatred. Might want might to think that it would dissipate, you know. Yeah, see, none, none, of this, none of this means that the enemy, you know, we, we try loving our enemies, praying for enemies. None of this means that they're going to all of a sudden jump on board on our team, okay? Uh, so, you know, perhaps, as we mentioned a moment, you know, goodwill toward that person may be the, the best thing that can take place. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're all going to go on vacation together and, uh, you know, there's there's just full, complete reconciliation, and we're all happy. And you can just keep you can just keep doing whatever you're doing to me. I'll, you know, just, you know, probably not what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting here. You know that that Jesus says you know love them, but then the next thing, pray for them. Okay. okay. So it seems like that they're you know they're, 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 that loving that loving may be an, one of the best ways to express our love is by praying for them. Okay. But certainly goodwill toward them. I gotta hurry because um, there's one last thing, and we only got like four minutes together. This is the big. This is the big year. Verse 48. Uh, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> just leave you with that. Let's just sleep on that for a while. Okay. Um, obviously, the question is this: Is Jesus in this passage calling his followers to moral perfection? Uh, some have taught, yes, now, just so, just so we'll be clear, some have taught through the, throughout Christian history uh, a lot of holiness movements and that th- sort of thing. They said, yep, this is exactly what Jesus is calling for. He's calling for moral perfection. Uh, and let's, let's see why that is not the case. Let's just a couple of easy examples here. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. We went over this a few months ago, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, what Jesus is saying there is that this is going to be a perpetual characteristic of Jesus' followers. They're going to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So they're not morally perfect, right? Then look at chapter 6. We haven't got there yet, but in chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts. So told, told to pray. Forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sins, our trespasses. And so if we've got some of those... <laughs> I don't suppose we're morally perfect, right? And so is Jesus calling here for moral perfection? Is that the perfection he's talking about? No, absolutely not. There is context, again, that these, we have to look at the context these words are used in. What is the context here? Lo- how, how does God love? How does God love? We're called to love like God does now that we've been born again, now that we're part of the family of God. Uh, we are called to love like he loves. And so 
Jesus is reflecting here upon the way in which the love of the Father is demonstrated in its perfection in the way he loves his enemies. Okay? The Father loves his enemies perfectly. Okay? To lo- so for us to love like the Father would be a love that is not determined, now listen, It's not determined by the loveliness or the attractiveness found in the person. See, why do we say that? God's love to them is not not based upon, are you a good person? Are you a good person? Would you be a good neighbor that we could live close to and not cause us any problems? (laughs) No, no. God, God, God loves without any particular attractiveness. He loves the righteous. It's sun, rain shines upon the righteous and the righteous. So... For us to love like the Father would be a love that's determined not by the loveliness or attractiveness found in the object. It's a love not conditioned on being loved first. Okay? The Father's love to others is not conditioned upon, you know, he doesn't look at it and go, do you love me? Do you love me? If you do, I'll love you back. No, it's not conditioned on that, you see. The Christian's love, and we'll close with this, the Christian's love is controlled by the knowledge that when he or she was God's enemy, the father loved he or she first, okay? Isn't it it interesting? We come back, everything we do ought to be, you know, swiveling on the gospel. What's what's the good news? While you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. While you were an enemy of God, God loved you. See, got to come back to that. Got to come back to that in how we react to others, even our enemies. It's 801. We need to go. Let's stand. Go be perfect. Go be perfect, everyone. But not not moral perfection. That's not what Jesus is speaking about. Let's just be clear on that. But let us let us pursue holiness without which no man or woman shall see God. Let's pray. Father This is like a sledgehammer because probably many of us, if not all of us, have some enemy-like situations going on in our lives. Um, And and maybe it's just stupid stuff. It's just people being so stupid. It It may not be a direct correlation to our walking with you and our faith in you. And so, Lord, we have to really think these passages through and, uh, see how they apply to our life situations. But uh, as, uh, as Michelle mentioned a moment ago, um, we got to ask for help. And so we are so thankful that you've given us your spirit. Holy Spirit, you abide within us. You will help us. You will empower us. May we look to you in every situation to help us to do that which will please our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.